welcome everyone, and uh, thank you for coming out despite the storms. Uh, and although we are small in number tonight, uh, we can worship in a big way. Uh, any of the young people who uh, are going to head to the children's experience, they can do that now with Miss Whitney. Of course, we have nursery care available uh, for the kids who are younger um, than K uh, kindergarten. Uh, and they are welcome to do that. Of course, children are welcome to stay throughout worship. Uh, if children do go to the experience, they will come in before the end of worship, so you don't have to go get them. Well, let's, uh, I think tonight, remind me if I'm incorrect, but I'd like to do the Apostles' Creed. I think it's on the desktop if, you, if it's not in the uh, easy worship. So I think Colby's running it, isn't it? No, I, I, we, will be, we will be patient. A lot of our young people are at a, a youth retreat, a wonderful thing called Chrysalis this weekend, uh, and also a lot of our adults are there as well, so we pray for them and keep them in our hearts, and uh, they will return to us with renewed energy uh, and, and even stronger faith, so we thank you for that. Yeah, so let's, uh, if, if we can uh, join together, I think, throughout the month of Acts in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was one of the first creeds, um, or statements of belief that came out of the church. Uh, we attribute it to about uh, two or maybe 100 even. And we are talking about uh, the book of Acts or Acts of Apostles, so I thought the Apostles' Creed would be a, a beneficial thing. But if we can't get it up there, then because then, I'm not going to do it from memory. And I know I believe in God the Father. I could, pro- I could probably do it by, by memory, but... I know it would probably be helpful to all of you if we um, had it up on the screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, give them a couple more minutes to do that. Let's, uh, let's just join in together a, a time of prayer, and then as we end prayer, if the Apostles' Creed is ready, uh, we will join in uh, and end in that way. Let us pray. Lord, we ask now that the Holy Spirit descends upon this place. That as over this next month we look at how to be the church, why to be the church, what the church is, how to act like the church, that you truly open our hearts and our minds, that you allow your spirit to enter us in a real way, that you take the scriptures that we read and that you uh, just make them accessible to us, that you make them meaningful to us, that you allow us to truly see your word and truth in this teaching time together. Lord, we thank you and pray this in your holy name. Amen. We getting anywhere with that? Excellent. There we go. All right, you might have to squint. Let's, this is, uh, this is again, this is the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you've gone through the um, New Life 101 classes, which we'll be offering again up in the fall, uh, we kind of go through this word by word. Uh, so, so if you're not familiar with this, you may not want to read it aloud, but uh, you can read with us. And if you are uh, or are a charter member, please feel free to read this aloud with me. Let us pray uh, together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Again, if that's new to you, uh, if you have questions about what that means, because those are, those are basic affirmations of faith, those are basic things that almost all Christians believe. Uh, we have a class, New Life 101, that will start up here in the fall that really goes through and explains a lot of what that is. So for the next five weeks, we're going to explore what it means to be part of the church in our series, Acting Like the Church. Uh, again, I, I will remind you, next week is Seeds to Succeed. So talk to me, Jeff, Jamie, Charlie, and Joanne have their Seeds to Succeed shirts on. Um, so any of, any of us who are going uh, can give you a little bit more about that. Uh, but before we uh, have that hands-on experience of being the church, and that's what next week is going to be, it's going to be being the church in action, we're going to look this week at really what the church is. And to do that, we're going to look in the book of Acts. Of course, the series is called Acting Like the Church. That's not, you know, made up. Uh, it's because we're going to focus on the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, like you all do, um, open them to the book of Acts. If you have your cell phones or Kindles or iPads, uh, get out your Bible app and make sure you have the book of Acts. We're going to be in the first chapter. Uh, I'm going to bring things back for a minute uh, because, uh, you know, we're all at different places in our faith. Some of us know the Bible a lot better than others. Uh, so I want to make sure that we all understand uh, where in the Bible this is and what this uh, book is about, what this uh, scripture, Acts of the Apostles, is about. Now, most of our Bibles, um, unless you're Roman Catholic, are divided into two sections, the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament, or the Christian Scriptures. Uh, we do that uh, to uh, delineate two different shifts in the story of God's salvation. The first part is God's salvation, or the Old Testament, is God's saving work through the people of Israel. We believe that the New Testament, or the Christian Scriptures, is God's saving work fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So that's the shift in the story. Uh, both uh, Old Testament and New Testament, both Hebrew Scripture and Christian Scripture, contain the story of God's salvation. Uh, it is just the different tone. It's uh, first the history of the people of Israel and God saving them, uh, and secondly, it's the fulfillment of that salvation through Jesus Christ uh, who came from the people of Israel. When we get into the New Testament, we start with four books called the Gospels, which are good news. Gospel literally means good news, and it is the story of Jesus Christ who came to bring good news to each of us, and we believe that good news is the new life he came to offer. Now, after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a book called Acts of the Apostles, and in the New Testament, it is a very unique book because it's really one of the only historical books in the New Testament that deals with the history of the church or the history of the early church. Now, if you read Acts of the Apostles, you may notice some, uh, some very similar writing styles to the book of Luke or the Gospel of Luke because Acts of the Apostles is a second letter or a continuation of what Luke wrote in his Gospel. So uh, it's a great exercise, if you have some time, to read Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and then immediately read uh, Acts of the Apostles because it's really part one, part two. So today we're in Acts of the Apostles, which is the story of the early church. Uh, so now that we know that, we need to talk about what is the church. Uh, we talked a little bit in our last uh, sermon series, Go Fish, the, the sermon series uh, before July, about what the church is. The English word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means the assembly. Uh, before Jesus was alive, it meant an assembly or group of people. Generally, it referred to people that would get together to vote. So in Greek culture, a uh, church or an ecclesia 
would be a group of people who came together to vote on something, uh, perhaps some referendum, perhaps uh, ways things would work in their community, uh, even to vote on perhaps their leaders or their senators at that time. Jesus takes that word and morphs it to say, I am building something new. I'm building a new assembly, a new ecclesia of citizens of heaven. And they will have say about what the kingdom of God will really be like. So that's what the church is. The church is a gathering of people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven or children of God. Now, Jesus doesn't just say, gather together, you're citizens of heaven, have fun, that's it. He actually gives us a very specific task. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the task that Jesus gives us as the church. Uh, so I know a, a lot of what I said, a lot of you knew, um, but for those of you who didn't, I hope that was helpful. So let's go to the book of Acts. Uh, we're in chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, verse 4 through 8. The first three chapters uh, really affirm that uh, this book is a sequel to the, the book of Acts. Uh, Theophilus is written to in the, uh, or the Gospel of Luke, excuse me. Uh, and so Luke reminds him that uh, what happened there and, and tells him what he's going to talk about. So we go to the fourth, uh, fourth verse of the first chapter. Here are these words. And while staying with them, this is Jesus with the disciples, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what's Jesus talking about? Here in this part of the story, remember Acts of the Apostles is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. So at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus rose from the dead. And here, Jesus is still around on earth, and he's talking to his disciples. And they ask him, what should we do? What now? Okay, you've risen from the dead, and you said you're going to go on to your father. And, and Jesus, here in the next couple of verses, he ascends into heaven and leaves them by, by themselves for a while. And so they say, what, what are we going to do? What now? Are, is God coming again? Are, are, is the kingdom of heaven going to be realized? And Jesus says, no, that's not for you to know. That's for God to know. But I will give you a task. I will give you something to do. Now, it, it's important to, 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 before we get to the task, to realize that twice here in what I just read, Jesus says, I'm not leaving you alone. What I'm going to give you as a task, I'm not going to say just do it. I'm going to give you help. And he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, they would have understand... Now, we understand Holy Spirit as one person of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But uh, they, they didn't have a complex understanding of the Trinity back before that. That wouldn't have it for a few hundred years. But they did understand the Holy Spirit as the breath of God, that part of God which uh, created life, that part of God which breathed into things, that part of God which strengthened people, that moved throughout the heavens and the earth, that connected people together. 
Uh, and that's kind of how we understand the Holy Spirit today. We see Holy Spirit as, yes, God, but we see the Holy Spirit as strengthening us, guiding us, teaching us, bringing us closer to God and closer to one another, uh, and also giving us the work and the gifts we need to do the work of the church. So very important before we get into this task to really understand that Jesus says, first and foremost, yes, I am ascending to heaven. I am going back to my Father in heaven, but I'm sending someone else, and I'm sending a helper, the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Second, he says, you will be my witnesses. And we have to understand a little bit about what witnessing is uh, before we get into the actual task that he gives us. He says that um, to be a witness... Uh, really, really is something that they understood back then. Because in the legal system in uh, ancient Greece and ancient Rome and in the time of Jesus, to have anything kind of stick in the legal system, uh, to have any claim kind of stick, you needed to have two witnesses. Now, one person could come out of their house and say, you know, Joe stole from me, but one witness was not enough. You needed to have two people come together and say, uh, this person stole from, from that person. And so witnessing was something that everyone kind of understood. Uh, you saw something, and then it wasn't just seeing something. And sometimes for some reason we think that witnessing is just seen with our eyes or hearing, right? It's just seeing. But witnessing for them meant seeing and then reporting. And so that's what, it's kind of that observe and report. So that's what Jesus is really telling us. He says, I'm going to make you, my early followers, and, and, and by extension, us, I'm going to make you witnesses, which means you're going to have to have seen something, and you're also going to have to report it. You have to see and report. So uh, we need to understand that witnessing is not a passive action. We don't sit back and witness, like if you go to the movie theater, uh, you can sit back and witness a movie, uh, and then never speak of it again, if it's really bad, or you, know, you didn't want anybody to know where you were. Depends on what movie you're going to, I guess. Ah, it's one of those nights. But here witnessing is, a, uh, is something very active. You actually have to do something. You have to take what you've experienced and share it with others. So Jesus says, you're going to experience something. And they already knew. They had experienced. What, look, look at what they had experienced if you look at the Gospels. They had experienced Jesus' teaching. They had experienced Jesus uh, healing the sick and uh, making blind men see and making the lame walk. He actually had risen Lazarus from the dead. But most of all, they witnessed Jesus' death and then his resurrection and now his ascension. So they had witnessed so much. So they had already known that. But Jesus said, it's not just enough for you to experience that you're going to have to share it with some others. So that's the task. Jesus says here in the first chapter of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was Jesus, according to Luke, the gospel writer, this was Jesus' last instruction to his early followers. So you can guess it may have been important. This was the last thing Jesus says, or this is the last thing Jesus says that we have written down or recorded before he ascended into heaven. So it was probably pretty important. And when he said it to them, they probably all took note because a few minutes later he flew up into heaven. So, I mean, they probably kept, oh, maybe what he said was pretty important. So he says, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Does that mean 
we have to go to Jerusalem and start sharing the gospel? Does that mean we have to go to Judea, wherever that is, or Samaria, wherever that is? Well, we're going to talk about really what that means for us. It meant something very specific for them. And I think uh, it means something very specific for us. But before we do that, we have to be witnesses. Now, I just told you what, what they had witnessed. They had witnessed Jesus heal, Jesus teach, Jesus being risen from the dead. Before we go out into these places and witness for Jesus, we have to have experienced something. Now, none of us were alive, I don't think, when Jesus was alive. If you were, that would be awesome because we have a lot of questions still about things that happened back then. But assuming that most of us uh, in, in no way are connected to people who were alive or even know people, you know, thousands of generations later, hundreds of generations later who were alive, we did not uh, or were not able to witness the events as they happened according to the gospel. But for many of us, we have witnessed what we call here new life because of Jesus Christ. And, and for the last four weeks, you actually had people stand here where I'm standing and share and witness to you a story of how Christ changed their lives and how Christ is continuing to change their life. And so before you share Jesus Christ with others, and that's what uh, we're going to be talking about here for the rest of the sermon, you have to have experienced something for yourself. To be a witness, you first have to experience. You have to see. Uh, And so I realize not everybody may be there, and that's okay. You take things one step at a time. Everyone's here tonight, and that's a great thing. You become part of the community. You get involved. You learn a little bit more, grow a little bit more. And we hope and we believe that Jesus Christ, through those walls that get broken down, through the relationships you build, will do something great in your life, and you will experience new life yourself and as a community. And so that's what we're going to be witnessing about. And that's what I witness about. So now we know we have to uh, see... And we have to share. That's kind of the experience of witnessing. Experience and then share that experience. But now Jesus says, okay, you need to be my witnesses. You need to see and share in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and everywhere. So where are those places? Well, we kind of know where everywhere is. Or, or I, guess, I guess at the time this was written, the ends of the earth really meant something different probably to these people because they kind of believed the earth ended somewhere. Uh, we know it kind of goes around in a circle. But what about Jerusalem? What about Judea? Where, what about Samaria? What, what are these places in the first place? Well, you remember in the story, if you're familiar with it at all, the disciples at this time were where? Does anybody know? What town were they in? The same town that Jesus had died, the same town Jesus was buried in, and the same town Jesus rose from the dead. They are just a few days after, or maybe up to a month after he rose from the dead, they are still in that town. And that town is still around today. It's a big town. There's a lot of Jews that live there. Really, there are. And Muslims and Christians too. Jerusalem. So that's the town. I already told you, so you should have all knew. He says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And he says that because they're already in Jerusalem. You can't just witness to someplace you've never been, you know, without some witnessing close to home. And a lot of these people, these followers of Jesus, and about this time there was only a couple dozen before the Holy Spirit comes and there was a whole bunch more. 
a lot of them were from the area. They were from Jerusalem. They had been living in Jerusalem. Their families were from Jerusalem. So they knew people here. They had been living here. They had connections here. Uh, Jerusalem was the center of the temple. So Jews from all over the world would come to that temple. They had a great, great connection. So Jesus isn't saying to us 2,000 years later, go to Jerusalem and share the gospel, although he, he is saying that because we still need to share the gospel in Jerusalem, obviously. But he's saying to us who aren't in Jerusalem, because not everyone in the world can live in there because it would be overcrowded, right? It would, be, it would be a mess, I'm just saying. Sanitation would, would be terrible if all of us lived in Jerusalem. Uh, it would be fun for a few weeks, I think, but it would just degenerate into to madness. Jesus, I think, is saying to us years later, witness where you are. You don't have to share the gospel far from home. You don't have to go knocking on strangers' doors. When you have experienced me in the new life I offer you, start at home, you know? We, we've been learning in foster, uh, you know, foster care classes how to uh, discipline kids, and, and one of our teachers uh, talked about one, two, three magic, you know, one, two, three, and, you know, then the kids do what they're told, supposedly, see how that works. <laughs> But she, but she jokingly said she tried it on her cat or her uh, dog first, so I've been trying it on the cats. Um, so, you know, you, you, try, you try your witnessing close to home. So, you know, if you have your pets, make sure they know Jesus first. Uh, and then, you know, you know, work on your kids and, and your, your spouses and uh, your friends. It's just people where you are. You know, you don't have to go far from home to run into someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. You don't have to go far from home to run into someone who's having some struggles in their life. You don't have to go far from home to know people that are going through some you know, fairly serious trauma or transition. You can witness close to home. Next, he says, go into Judea. Now, if you kind of know the history of the Bible, at this time, the nation of Israel was, was not a nation. It was occupied by Rome. But most of the Israelite people lived in Judea. But a thousand years before Jesus lived, a man named David, who was king of all of Israel, brought the tribes of Israel together, and they lived in a great nation called Israel. That nation uh, lived under King David for, for uh, a while, and then his son, Solomon. But Solomon's sons and their sons kind of messed things up. And so the people divided into two nations, Israel in the north and Judea in the south. And this is going to be, I'm not just saying random things. This is going to be important here in a minute. Judea lasted a lot longer than Israel. After about you know, three, four hundred years of having two different nations, Israel, the northern kingdom, was invaded by the Assyrians and pretty much destroyed. Most of the buildings, the ancient places were just wiped away. People were spread all across the land. Now there were still Israelites, Jewish people living in Israel but they did not have the organization and government that they once did. Now, the southern kingdom, Judea, that lasted much, much longer until they were invaded by Babylon. And Babylon came in, pretty much leveled the temple, that, that place which at Jesus' time was rebuilt. So the original temple that Solomon built, they leveled the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they took many of the elders and priests back to Babylon. But the rest of the people were still there in Judea. 
So when that exile ended, and it was about 50 years where the Jewish people lived in exile in Babylon, they came back, they rebuilt Jerusalem, they rebuilt uh, their temple, they rebuilt the cities, and they had uh, basically some time of freedom until Rome came and conquered them. Greece came and conquered them first, then Rome came and conquered Greece. It was a mess back then too. Lots of things happened. So the, the Judean nation or, or country was really a Jewish country, even though it was occupied by Rome. I'm, I'm going to talk about what happened to Israel here in a minute. But when Jesus says, in Judea, he's really saying, go witness to people who are like you. Go witness to Jewish people. Go witness to people in your hometown. Go witness to people you know, back home, people, you know, your second or third cousins. Go witness to people in neighboring towns. But go witness to people who are like you. And I'm not saying we only witness to people who are like us because Jesus keeps talking, right? It would be nice if Jesus stopped right here because we could, we, could, uh, we could witness, even though it's hard, we could witness to our friends and family pretty well. And then we could witness to people who are like us, you know, maybe ethnically like us, maybe they're the same gender, maybe they, they share some similar uh, interests, hobbies. Maybe they live in the same area as us. Maybe our kids go to school together or, or, in, or in some same... Uh, activities. It's, it's easier to witness to those people than the other people that we're going to talk to, and Jesus keeps, keeps adding groups to this. But Jesus is saying to his early disciples, once you've gotten a grasp on witnessing to, in Jerusalem, then spread out. You'll see some circles. I think they've been adding them up here. And, and that's kind of the circles of relationships Jesus is talking about. It starts with us. It starts with you. You have to have witnessed, experienced Jesus. And then you kind of go to Jerusalem. You go to your family and friends, and then uh, Judea is the next step. But Jesus doesn't stop there. It it would be nice if Jesus did stop there, then our our lives would all be easier. But Jesus then continues. And I have a little video that I think is going to help us transition uh, as we go to the next two circles uh, of this relationship. we got to have some sound here. Or maybe not. It's going to be an interesting video without sound. What scars do they carry? What did they dream about being when they were little? Are they doing it? Are they happy? Scared? Do they have people who love them? Or are they all alone? There's just so many. So many people. Maybe the real question is, do I love them? Do I even care about them? Or are they just an inconvenience to me at the grocery store? Or more congestion on the highways? Do I love them or merely tolerate them? Or worse, do I see their value? Do I believe that they're as important and as significant as I am? Or are they just the background of my life? The ones you don't even bother to see because you're so caught up in your own stuff. I say I love them. I say that because I'm supposed to, right? It sounds right. But honestly, do I? And yet, Jesus loves them. All of them. 
every one of them individually and completely. He loves them as much as he loves me. He knows every hair on their heads too. He knows their every hope and every fear, every hurt and every joy. And he died for them as much as he died for me. He even loves the ones that will never love him back. He loves them without ulterior motive or agenda. He just loves them. Maybe it's time for me to look closer to see them again for the first time. To stop seeing crowds and stop seeing neighborhoods and start seeing people, individuals. Who are these people? If we want to be truly effective witnesses, we have to understand, first and foremost, that all people are children of God. I mean, and that's a core theological belief that we have, that all people are children of God, that God loves all people, and that Christ came to save all people. He died for everyone, and that message has effectively covered the globe. It's, it's working. But if we're going to truly be witnesses beyond those first two circles, that our personal Jerusalem, our personal Judea, we have to understand that Christ loves all people, whether they eat at Chick-fil-A or they do not. He still loves them. That's, that's my topical comment for the week. So he says, go out into Samaria and, and if we take this at face value, and that's, that's the danger of taking some things at face value, we don't really understand what he's saying. Because if you look um, geographically, you had Judea, Samaria. And okay, well, then Jesus would be saying, okay, you, you go to Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then everywhere. But he's not just saying, some, you know, it, it would be, it's, it's not for us. You know, geographically, it'd be like saying, you know, if Jesus came here in the United States and, and this all happened in the United States, he would be saying, you know, be my witnesses in Chicago and the United States and Canada. That's, that's, that's what he's saying geographically. That's not really what's behind his words. Because when he said to his followers, faithful, devoted Jewish men and women, when he said, be my witnesses in Samaria, that meant something a lot more powerful than oh, that country north of us. You see, when I was talking about Israel and Judea, those two kingdoms, Israel was conquered, destroyed, pretty much wiped off the map, as was Judea, but the people in Judea came home and they rebuilt. Well, there were still people in Israel in that land, and there were still Jewish people in that land, and they still believed in the God of Abraham. But because they had been racked by war and devastated by war, they started marrying people that believed in other things, like the god Baal, like the god uh, Baal, in all kinds of Canaanite gods. And they started intermarrying, and they started worshiping, doing different things, and believing in different things. And the people of Judea and Israel, who were once connected, became very divided. 
Because the people in Judea said, we worship the one true God. And the people in Samaria said, well, we worship that same God, but we also worship some other gods. And isn't that okay? And the people of Judea said, no, that's not okay. Haven't you read the Bible? They said, no, we can't read. And they said, oh, well, that changes things. Nobody? And so when he was saying that, he was really pushing and helping them move really beyond their comfort zone, beyond their boundaries. Because for a faithful Jew who lived in Judea, you could not eat with, talk to, touch, or even look at a Samarian, a Samaritan, excuse me. And that's why Jesus talked a lot about people from Samaria or Samaritans. We all know a story about a good Samaritan, and that's one of the power of that story is because they were hated people in Jerusalem, in Judea. They were looked down upon. They were, they were spit upon if they ever came around. And if you ever came in contact with one, if, if, Lord, if you had sat down and ate dinner with a Samaritan, you would be unclean. You would have to go through weeks of ritual cleansing. You would have to do all kinds of sacrifices. You'd have to go to the temple and have God cleanse your sin through those different animal sacrifices. But Jesus here, before he died, says, I want you to go to that place, that dirty, disgusting place that you hate, that place that you don't let your kids talk about. Or if your kids did go up there and married a Samaritan, God help them, they would be disowned. He says, I want you to be my witnesses there too. I want you to experience what it's like to share my message to those people. So in my mind, what he's saying to us today is, yes, you need to witness close to home, to your friends and your family. Yes, you need to witness to those people who are like you. But you also need to witness to people who are different than you. People who look and act and have different beliefs. People who have different cultures. People who disagree with your Facebook posts or any opinion that you might have. He says, I want them to hear my message too because I love them too. Very uncomfortable to witness to people who are very different than us. Actually, I think it's quite enjoyable, but for a lot of us, it is very uncomfortable. And I I love arguing, so it's even better for me, but it can be very uncomfortable. But Jesus says, do it anyway. Finally, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So if you hadn't figured it out already, be my witnesses everywhere to everyone. I mean, he he didn't have to say that, but sometimes we're slow and it takes a couple things for us to really get it. So he says it anyway, be my witnesses everywhere to the ends of the earth. Jesus tasks us with witnessing, not just to uh, our, our kind of sectors, our areas of influence, but to the entire world. That is the mission of the church. And I believe that Jesus will come again when we have completed that task, when everyone has heard the good news. And we're getting pretty close. But we've got a long way to go because uh, as much as we are advancing in Africa, in China, in India, as much as the gospel is just uh, blossoming in the Philippines and in other areas, South Korea, it's, it's also dwindling in Europe and in North America. So we have to kind of go back and start over, don't we? And kind of continue that work. 
I think it also means something to us, not, not just geographically, but for us as individuals. Because not all of us are going to go, you know, globetrotting and, and share the gospel. Some of us are. That's something that you might be called to, that people are called to mission to other places. But for all of us who aren't called to that kind of ministry, I think witnessing to the ends of the earth means witnessing 24-7. It means sharing the gospel with every action you do, with every word you speak, with everything you do, wherever you are. There's a great song by the Newsboys, uh, Wherever We Go. And it's talking about that. Wherever we go, we share the gospel. And because of that, the world changes around us. And people experience new life around us. encourage you to go find that on uh, YouTube or iTunes this week. So now we've, we've kind of concluded this, uh, these circles of influence. And I've given each of you here in your New Life Notes a witness graph. Isn't that nice of me? And it outlines, you know, you start with yourself, me, work to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So I want, uh, during this month, I kind of want to task us all uh, or challenge us all to be witnesses. And, and this, is, this is how I'm going to make it very specific for you. So going step by step, uh, uh, first you need to experience Jesus Christ yourself. And, and if you haven't gotten to that point, talk to us, talk to anybody here, because, I mean, a lot of people uh, have experienced that. We've had uh, four lay testimonies, four people speak over the last four weeks. If you heard any of them talk, go talk to them. They'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Jamie would love to talk to you. Jeff would love to talk to you about what it means for Jesus Christ to be in your life. And we'd love to just spend time, go out and have coffee, uh, get some lunch, and really talk about what that means. And it's, it's a process. Uh, it, it took some of us a long time to get around that. Uh, and, and it might take you a long time too. Uh, but most of you are, are a little more savvy than, than me, so I know it, it probably won't. But, but if, you, if you can say, yes, I know who Jesus Christ is. Yes, I've experienced new life because of him, and I want to be his witness then I want you to take each of these four circles and over the next month, I want you to be a witness in each of these four circles. So by the end of the month, I want you to have your graph and to be, I want you to be able to write a name in each of those four circles, in each of those areas. Now, Jerusalem is, remember, someone close to you and, and not your cat or, or your dog. <laughs> I know I use that as a joke, but, you know, maybe try that out and then, you know, go on to somebody. I, I'm not... I'm not saying that you have to be an effective witness, right? I'm not saying that you have to have brought someone to Jesus Christ, because only Christ does that work. But witnessing is sharing. So I want you to at least try to share to someone close to you, a family, a friend, someone you have a relationship with already. That's that first circle. So by the end of the month, by the end of August, I want you to say, I shared Jesus Christ with one person close to me. Maybe they already know Jesus Christ. Great, easy. That warmed you up for what's to come. Second, in Judea. And that's someone you share something with in common. So let's say, uh, you know, your kids are in some sports together. There are tons of parents, right? Maybe you're, you have some, you know, extracurricular kind of activities. Maybe you just uh, have a neighborhood, you know, gathering. You have some people who are close to you. Uh, maybe you just have people in your life who you work with but don't know real well. Try witnessing to someone who you share something in common with. It might take a little more work. It may take a few weeks, even a couple months. You know, and, and, and if you've started the process, I think that's great. And witness to them. You know, it, it may not be the first conversation you have, but maybe you know somebody at work likes to bike and you like to bike, so 
uh, you go biking together for a few times or you, you know, get, get something to eat or, uh, you know, you start, start small and then work up to it. Samaria, and, and this, is, this is difficult, someone different from you, someone who maybe believes something different or looks different or acts different or Lord who lives downtown Rockford, because that, that would be scary for a lot of us, right? Someone who uh, is, is beyond our, our scope. You know, next week we're, uh, we're going to be celebrating in our community. And you're going to have the opportunity to meet a lot of people who are different from you. Because in our school district, our Harlem school district here, although I realize here we are connected to three school districts, Harlem, Honaniga, and Rockford. Uh, but in, we're going to be working in Harlem. There is a, just, a, uh, just a plethora, a myriad, if you will. Thank you. Uh, of, of, of people, of culture, of ethnicity, uh, and, and our children, just, just, a, uh, just a lot of differences. Uh, and you have the opportunity to maybe meet someone who's a little different, get to know them, uh, just experience what they experience and how life is for them. Uh, and I know that that may be a long, a long task. But I think when we really walk outside of our shell and start interacting with people who are different than us, I think we end up a lot better than we are. I think we end up a lot more informed, a lot more open, um, uh, and I think a lot closer to Christ because Christ spent a lot of time with people who was different than him and a lot of time with people who were different than a whole lot of other people. <laughs> Some pretty strange folks, in fact, Christ spent his life with. And finally, the ends of the earth. And this, is, uh, this would have been almost impossible uh, 30 years ago, except for maybe writing you know, pen pals. But in this uh, era of technology and, and kind of modern wonders, I want you to witness to someone you've never met. And I, I'll be interested in the end of the month to see how you've done that. I, I'm not going to give you an example. I just want you to think about that. How you might witness to someone who you've never met. Believe me, there are uh, many, many, many avenues to do this. Uh, many different ways you could actually share the gospel to people who you've never met. And so I'll let you think about that. And if you get stuck after a couple of weeks, you can come talk to me and I can uh, give you some ideas. Uh, so think about that. That's a challenge. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to dock your, uh, you know, your, the number of gems in your crown if you don't finish this. Um, but I, you know, I will be excited to hear if you do do this uh, and, and kind of what happened because you've done this. You know, in our Go Fish series, we really encourage people to go fish, to share about Jesus Christ. And I know I've, I've heard a lot of great stories about that and how sharing the gospel has really changed people's life. And so again, this is kind of the same thing. And this is the foundation of what it means to be the church. At the very heart of what it means to be a church is to share or witness to Jesus Christ, to be his witnesses. Uh, and that's why we started with this. So remember, um, uh, when we witness, it's not a solo activity. We talked about that again in Go Fish. We uh, uh, need two or more, uh, so you can do it in pairs. But even if you do it alone, remember, you are empowered with the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not send us to be witnesses by ourselves. He always empowers us, gives us the gifts we need with the Holy Spirit. And again, you know, if there's a couple of you who can do it together, even better. But you're never alone. Uh, and Jesus is with you. Christ is with you. And so I do encourage you, as Jesus commanded many years ago, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen.
Let's transition now uh, to the uh, third part of our worship experience, the praise uh, section of our experience. We are going to collect offering here after I pray and as the band gets on the stage. Again, I remind you, uh, please fill one of these out. Uh, If you haven't had time to do that, you can do it now. You can do it after service. Give it to um, Jamie or Jeff or uh, just find somebody to, you know, put it, give it to. (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, we'll make sure that we get connected with you and share kind of what's going on here. Thank you. Again, um, thank you, everyone who's been supportive. I thank all of you who came out tonight, uh, despite the storms, despite the bad weather. Uh, we uh, uh, just appreciate that and are, are wonderful to be able to worship uh, despite our, our weather and our circumstances. So let's uh, just enter a time of prayer. That is a great way to witness to others is through prayer. And tonight we're going to pray for uh, many things, uh, and we will pray for all of those who need to hear Christ's uh, message of new life tonight. So let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this rain. We've been praying for rain. We've been praying for an end to this drought throughout the Midwest. Uh, we know this, this isn't enough. We, we still need more, and so we pray for more. But we know no matter what, you will be with us. You will guide us. You will help us when we have plenty, when we don't have enough. In feast and famine, you have been this, with us throughout history. We know we can overcome anything with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you be encouraging, that you be emboldening, that you just strengthen all of us here to be your witnesses. Help us experience new life so that we can share new life with others. Lord, we ask that you just be with all of those who need to hear your message of new life today. Those who are lost, those who are alone, those who are suffering, those who are weak, those who think they have all the answers, those who think they don't have any answers. Lord, we ask that you be with all people. We ask that you be with our farmers and all of those who rely on water, all those who rely on rain. Help us support them in any way we can. We ask that you be with all those victims of violence. We know we're a couple weeks away from the events that happened in Aurora, but since then, dozens of people have died because of violence right here in our country and right here in our town and across the globe. Hundreds and thousands of people starving, dying, suffering, for ways that we can fix, ways that we can alleviate, ways that we can change. If only we were stronger, we were louder, we were truly in love with all your people. Lord, we ask that you be with the leaders of this world, the leaders of our nation. We celebrate events like the Olympics that bring us together even in competition. Help us truly work together as people to be your people to experience your kingdom now and forever. Lord, most of all, we ask that you be with the church. Your church is divided. It can be adversarial. It can be a boon. But it can also hurt us because we're involved in it, because we're imperfect, because we mess things up. Help us remember that at the very foundation of what it means to be the church is to be your witnesses. You said, I'm building the church. Go fish. 
Help us be fishers. Help us be witnesses. And let us leave everything else up to you and your grace. Lord, we ask that you be with all churches. We ask that you be with the holy, universal church. But we ask that you also be with our denomination, the United Methodist Church. Be with this conference as we experience transition in the fall with a new bishop. We pray for Bishop Sally and Bishop Young as he transitions to Wisconsin. We pray for all of our brother and sister churches. We pray for our sponsoring congregation, Roscoe, and all of our partnering congregations. We just lift them up. Lord, most of all, we ask that you be with new life, that as a fledgling young congregation, that you encourage us, strengthen us, lift us up, and help us truly be your church for your people. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.